Is there anything you can do about that where you live? Is there anything you can do about it? Let's just, you know, have a conversation about it. No, there isn't because you don't live at elevation and you don't, you don't have the ability to do long sustained climbs. So let's take that out of our awareness. Do what can you do? The same thing we do with the athletes that have a certain amount of time to train. Do you have 30 hours a week to train? Awesome. If you don't, then why are you trying to put in 30 hours of training? So, Because that's just going to be inconsistency and skipped workouts. Yeah, it's going to create suffering. It's going to even catastrophize things more in the mind. So what can you do? Yes, there's going to be a lot of elevation. And yes, there's going to be, uh, you're going to be at elevation. So what are the things you can do? Get as much as you can where you live. And it's going to look different for, for her. And it's going to look different for somebody else who's training in another part of the country. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and Beach, and we're here with our November installment of Ask YT, as in Ask Yogi Triathlete, the entity, the force that has asked us to risk everything and asked us to look for gratitude and abundance and expand those in our life when everything was so terrifying. Do you remember that, Beach? So clearly. <laughs> So clearly. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago. Uh, I'm psyched to be here. I love this monthly show, and I know that we've got at least one or two people that really look forward to the... Actually, I was told scrap the guests and just have... Just ask, have us talk. Have us talk all the time. <laughs> I'm not sure the world is ready for that no, yet. not yet. So maybe when I get on a higher plane, I'll have my own show. There definitely is some <laughs> conversations that go on in here off camera that go pretty... Pretty deep. Pretty deep. And actually, we have an awesome question today that will take us super deep, really, to the the to the base of every thought and action of fear. Is the question that we're going to be talking about today is basically the essence of all fear. Hmm. That's not the question, but the question is going to deal with hmm. the subject matter that is the essence of all fear. All right, so uh, let's take it on a totally lighter note. And you got a new hoodie on. And for the Patreon people, they can see this new hoodie. So why don't you demo the hood? I love the hood because it kind of locks you in. Yeah, the hood is the most amazing thing. So when I go into meditation now, actually... it like pulls down over your forehead, which is great for your Harry Potter scar. <laughs> I do. I do <laughs> meditation in the morning and then I... And, what was the other day? I woke up and went to the coffee shop with glasses on. The hoodie didn't come off. And, and a mask. And a mask. Oh, yeah. And it's you came back with like all this money, which I thought was interesting. All this money. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it appeared. So you invested in a new I invested hoodie. in quality gear. Yeah. And, and a hoodie is super important. The last quality hoodie I got was from Lululemon when we left Newport. In 2016, and it was light colored, and that was the problem. And we camped for the first, I don't know, eight weeks of of our trip, and it got dirty quick. So that, <laughs> and then you proceeded to wear it for another four years. I, yeah, well, yeah. No, I think you got time. rid of it like last year. Dirt and coconut oil because I slobber a lot of coconut oil on myself. A little bit of smoothie bowl here and there. And a little bit of smoothie bowl, yeah. <laughs> So that, that sweatshirt had to go. Plus, it was somehow it was just like getting longer and longer. <laughs> it was like expanding the, in, the, in the arms. Arms, yeah. And it was so, like that robot. What was that robot that had like the the extendable arms? I don't know from the black hole. I don't know. I don't know, dude. That's why you and I wouldn't have been friends if we knew each other <laughs> in our formative years because I wasn't into that. Well, it got D &D long. D stuff. Dungeons and Dragons. Don't bring that up. <laughs> So long sleeves, and then the, and then it would just curl up here and wrinkly. And, yeah, so, and you were you've always cautioned me. Do you really want to wear that outside? I do caution you on some of BJ has some inside uniforms. I'll call them uniforms because you wear them daily. BJ has some inside uniforms that I do caution. He does, you know, or gets curious about wearing those outside or while on rides, you know, bike riding, things like that. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> anyway, this hoodie is awesome. It's so it's from Lululemon. If you guys want to know, I think it's called the City Street Pullover Hoodie, something like that. But it's worth the investment. I'll have it for another four or five years. <laughs> which means, and it's black, so really, there's no telling. There's no telling how, how long, long this will. You're going to be wearing this, um, and this replaces that transitionary hoodie I took. I had from Amazon, which yeah. was like 15 bucks. It wasn't you know? I did a pair of Amazon pants that were like 18.99, and they're awful. Mm. I think I've worn them like four times, yeah. and I just I've got this low level of guilt that I actually did that. Because I am a believer in quality uh, over quantity, obviously. So I would rather spend, like, for example, when I was in New York City at the Main Street Vegan Academy, we uh, one of the awesome things about that is you learn a lot about the fashion industry. And we went to um, Vote Couture, who is uh, her name is escaping me at this point, but we went into her showroom and in the fashion district in New York City and she did a little bit of a sale for us. And I bought this like cropped vegan sweatshirt that was like $140. I wear it all the time, but I wear it all the time. And at that point I had zero business buying a $140 sweatshirt, but I did and, uh, and I love it. I love that sweatshirt. I wear it all the time. And so, and then I too have a hoodie from our 2016 departure from Newport, where I think you and I invested like $300 in two hoodies. And I still have mine. Although the sleeves are getting really long. So I have to like kind of yank them up. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta pull them up. So mine's probably in the last, I mean, like you said the other day, you go, we'll just get one. And I was like, no, because I feel like I've got like another two years in this. So yeah, we definitely get the life out of our. Quality over quantity. So you'll see me in this, guys, for another few years. And definitely several, at least all the episodes from here on out. Ask YT through the winter, the harsh Carlsbad winter. Watch out, Instagram. (laughs) There's a black hoodie coming your way. (laughs) The puffy will always be there, but. Yeah, I have to be a black sweatshirt every now and black hoodie every once in a while. (laughs) Puffy, (laughs) the puffy. BJ's been showing me these like because if you know BJ, then you know he loves his black puffy. And if you're on the team, then you've most definitely received a Bitmoji response of and BJ's Bitmoji looks just like him, and the guy's got a a black black puffy puffy on. (laughs) (laughs) But he's been showing me these like. Puffy boots, and you showed me a pair of puffy, puffy pants. pants. So, and you have a black <laughs> puffy sleeping bag, which actually is mine that you have now adopted. And uh, I can just see you like spending the rest of your life in puffy gear. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Stimulating conversation. Should we jump into questions? You you kind of feel like you've been like. Uh, wandering around the house today, like you've got something that you want to talk about. Oh, consistency. Okay. Yeah. You've been consistently wandering and talking. And talking about consistency. I don't know if you're talking to me (laughs) or you're talking to yourself, but I knew it had something to do with something you wanted to bring to the podcast. Consistency. Okay. And why is it, why is, why is the basis of what we bring to the table and provide for athletes in our community and what we, believe in so strongly is so challenging for people to adopt. So for example, doing a little bit of something is better than skipping everything. So if you're given an hour workout, you don't have an hour, you choose to skip it versus going for 10 or 15 minutes to keep momentum and consistency moving. So that's just one example. Yeah, so like running, right? Mm -hmm. If your focus is running and you want to be consistent with running, then be consistent with running. It's not about being consistent with a certain amount of miles or a certain distance that you have to run. Like if it's not three miles, then I'm not going to do it. That's inconsistency. And then what happens when we act in that way of inconsistency, which is really being driven by underlying belief systems, what we get back in our lives are inconsistent results. So maybe inconsistency in relationships, inconsistency in our ability to stay in a sustained relationship, you know, just using that as an example. Or food. Because life is that boomerang effect, right? It what is. we put out, we get back. And and actually we put it out, we get it back, but when we put it out, it gets magnified. 
and then comes back. So that works both ways mm-hmm. for the good and the and the bad, the ungood, the ungood, <laughs> the non-good. If we have to use English, if we have to use that, if we have to use our limited vocabulary, like the labels, good and bad. So it goes either way. Universe yeah. is neutral. It loves you that much. And and I. F- I feel like we get too uh, focused and honed in on the details of things versus pulling back in the generality of things and letting that dictate how acute you get in your your details. So pulling back, get general, get general, running. I just need to run, right? It doesn't matter the pace, doesn't matter where, doesn't matter what clothes you wear, doesn't matter what where you go. It's just start to run, and from that. By default, if you consistently just stay on that realm up here, all the other stuff is just going to flow into place. A year from now, two years from now, you've got this running thing going. All of a sudden, you're like, "Well, what about doing a race? Well, what distance? Great. We'll start with like a 5K or a 10K, and then that starts to snowball, and then you get to marathon, and then ultra running, and that's just one path." But I find we we have these beliefs and habits in our mind that say we must get there. Today, or we must get there in three months. Or I'm doing a 30 day challenge, so I must bring my math heart rate down to whatever, 130 by the end of the month. And those are great because a lot of people need that goal to stay engaged. But pull back, pull back is, is what I find success with. Um, I actually like, thought about this the other day. I meditated. Oh, God, here on comes it. the journal. Yeah, here comes the journal. Um, oh, look at what's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a journal. <laughs> it's not BJ a reading. A, oh. I'm not going to be doing a reading for you all. BJ makes fun of me because sometimes I do readings. <laughs> we have friends over. Come on over for dinner. And let me read you this And then section. Jess will sneak away. She'll grab her book. She'll put on her robe. I get into my glasses, cave. Lights the... <laughs> Sage, mm-hmm. and then I started reading. Oh, did you guys want to hear this? So anyway, reading? so anyway, you're, I mean, you're the one sitting here with your journal open in front of me, right. about to read to the world. So read yeah, to it's the just, world. It's it's got me thinking. Like why why just why is consistency? Ooh, I like the charge in there. Why 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 consistency? He's not telling us why. <laughs> um. So a lot of <laughs> a lot of times. Um, what I'm, what they don't believe or trust that it's the right path. Is that what is this coming from your journal? Yes. This is so good. They don't believe or trust that it's coming from the right path. That it is the right path. So they will only proceed on this consistent path if they know that and, and can anticipate that the results that they expect will occur. Like it will happen. And they want to be certain before they begin the journey. Would you say that's something that would derail consistency? Yeah, and it, and I would go one step further and say that that's just a mechanism of the mind. Meaning the mind is always looking for the certainty. Mm-hmm. Most people, I was just talking to somebody about this this morning. So good. I was working with an athlete this morning and this person said to me that they're realizing that all the voices or the thoughts or whatever you want to call them that are going on in the mind is not who that person is because they realize now from slowing down, from sitting in meditation, this is somebody who's pretty brand new at meditation, has now created that gap and can see that those thoughts are not who they are. That's quick if they just started. Yeah. That's super quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the I fast know. track. <laughs> all, and then the ego goes, that's my point of attraction. Um, no, it's really cool because it, it doesn't take long to realize that you're not your thoughts. If you right now, if everybody just counts one, two, three in their head, like if you're visual, like I'm very visual, so I can see the numbers one, two, and three, and I hear them one, two, and three. So if I can see them, I can hear them, they can't be me. So... Um, so the consistency, so the like, if I don't achieve this or if, you know, this certainty that they're looking for is actually not them at all. 
It's a mechanism of the mind that is in control of them. This is why the mind training is such a non-negotiable. Like, we got to live our own lives. That's our divine right. That's our birthright is to live our own life and not being lived by the mind. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a mechanism of the mind to find that certainty. So to answer your question, yes, yes. I totally agree with that. All right, next one. This is so good. It takes too long or it's taking, not, uh, it's taking more time than they expected. So again, attaching to an anticipated time that says, I'll, I'll do this, I'll trust you as my coach and I'll run, but only if I achieve this goal in three months. And when that goal isn't achieved, what happens? Are they attached to that finite deadline, which is only a point in time? It's, well, what's it's your one experience? Blip. Most people, do they get derailed by that? Yeah, some people don't even make most. I'd say most people don't even make it to. Because they're not consistent because enough they're not to consistent even. consistent enough to get to that point. So then what's under that, right? Like right. there's like this self sabotaging behavior, but yeah, the patience. So I take this back to like when people would come in to see me at, in massage. And typically in my experience with massage and working with mindset coaching, people don't typically come to me because they're on top of the world. Right? They, they typically come to me because they're in pain. Because they're in pain, which is a wonderful motivator to get out of pain. And so they would come and they would say, oh, you know, I've been, my training's been going so good. And, you know, I've, Paces, blah, blah, and everything mm, on point. And out of nowhere, boom, my calf blows. And I would always just reel them back and help them or guide them to a new perspective or understanding that, no, it didn't just all of a sudden. It's been happening every day, a little bit, over a long period of time, and then boom. Just like our sucks enough moment, right? So that calf had a sucks enough moment. So it's the patience realizing that it, it took them a long time to get into the pace that they're in. And it's going to take a minute to get into the pace that they desire. But there's so much work around the mindset that you can do, like around um, identity creation to be creating yourself right now as that person who runs that pace. So what happens is they have this timeline, but they're basing all their success off the physical evidence, which you and I know the physical takes so long to catch up. But if they're working with the mindset, this is, I love to do this with athletes. We work with the mindset about, and you and I have done this, and I would say probably most effectively in the, in the recent months is, or you have really felt what it is to stand on the podium. And you have the physical evidence now to feel that. But prior to, you had to, like, what does it feel like to stand on the podium at an Ironman? Like, how, what do I look like? Do I have my hoodie on? Like, what does that feel like? Um, who's out there? What does the crowd look like? What does the sky look like? And so you, you start to prepave that experience into the subconscious. And then that becomes a piece of your point of attraction. But patience attains the goal. Patience attains the goal. I learned that early on from Meditator Bob when I was like not psyched to hear that news at all. I'm fine with that. I tried every way to wiggle <laughs> around it to figure out how I could have results quicker. And it always ended up, um, and really not until I made Patience Attains the Goal, my mantra did I really begin to understand the preciousness of patience? That it's not a waiting for what you want. It is patience in a allowing. In allowing That's how what I see you it. want to already be within your being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to be. Everybody used to call me or would label me as a patient person. Like, you're so patient, you're so patient. And I used to like be so proud of that, like patience. But it can also work against you as in you're just too laid back. <laughs> you're just too, you're too allowing to a point where you're not even trying or you're not 
you're not investing in the steps necessary to to achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah, Bob was just talking about mm-hmm. that yesterday. So we had a session with Meditator Bob yesterday, and he was saying about like he was talking about athletes and like the goals and things like that. And it takes a while, but eventually you'll get to the point where you're like, I'm gonna crush this because you know, you it. know. it's already a part of who you are. Mm-hmm. But that's like there's a step there between step one and mm-hmm. I'm gonna crush this. Okay, here comes All the right, journal. Another thing. Distraction. Books, podcasts, seminars, uh, people that you look up to in a conversation. All these things, you're constantly on the search. And you mentioned it yesterday, but you're trapped in trying. You're just you keep you keep filling the intellectual mind with stuff and um, that one pointed focus or that one path, which you are having trouble being consistent at is being interrupted by all this stuff. Yeah, when you really disperse all of that to many different outlets. And what's coming in right now for me is like when we went vegan in our early stages of being vegan, we were like when we we were like Rich Roll and Julie from the podcast one and I was just soaking up all their knowledge and all their guests about plant-based nutrition and I kept that messaging very streamlined. And I didn't really listen to a lot, maybe the recommendations that they they gave, I looked at, but I wasn't like, oh, here, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And so what it does is it keeps you in confusion. Going into all these different directions keeps you in confusion. So it's like honing in on, and being aware of what, mes- what messages hit you. Like what resonates with you? And putting that into action. Yeah, and then go deep into that resonance. Exhaust the option. Exhaust that. Exhaust that. Like read something in a book, exhaust it. It may take six months, it may take six years. Exhaust it. So and then and then move forward. That's mastery. But but the distraction of these things and I not mastery. Is not mastery. So you know, I'm not trying to say, you know, don't read a bunch of books or listen to a bunch of podcasts. But if you're truly honing in on, on, if you have that connection with yourself and you have that goal and purpose that you're you're going after, hone in on what you're, the, ho- you're honing in on something right now in your life. What is that? You've been listening to a lot of something lately. Oh, Ram Dass. Yeah, but it's not about to me. It, I'm finding it's not about like I don't know what it's about. I just c- connect with the understanding and and stories that he tells about how he. Yeah, how he focused in. He did all this stuff and he came to the realization that meditation is the, the be all end all. And he, you know, he did LSD and he, you know, went to India and he followed a guru and he is an educated, um, Harvard educated professor, Harvard, I believe, taught at MIT where he got banned, right? No, Harvard. Harvard. Harvard, he got banned. Okay. Um, well, fi- I think fired. Or fired. I like the word banned though. Or banned. Uh, but I just love how he, in the stories I've heard, he, they just keep looping back to meditation, meditation, stillness. There, there's no right or wrong. You go within. Um, you're a unique individual. This is your soul's journey. This is just one stop. And you're not the body. You're not the thoughts. And it just keeps circling around the same, that same essence. And so it's really just asking you to meditate and, and get to know yourself. In this life right now, and how does that help you um, with answers and direction and all of that? How does that help you personally? Like, what has been your experience? experience? Yeah, uh, with like reaching your goal of getting to Kona. Yeah, there's no wrong or right path. It's just stay consistent with the. For me, it's staying consistent with the training I've been doing. What do I always come back to? Just work hard, rest, repeat. Do you ever have trouble with consistency? In training, in your life, in life, absolutely, yeah. So, how did you? How do you get consistent? Um, so, if, uh, what's an example? I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Meditating. Okay, like so early on. Early on, it was a struggle, and I, I, I believe now that I look back on reflection that I, I attached it to an existing habit that I had a strong, strong habit going, and. I attached meditation to that habit, which was really strong, and it just turned out that that habit is now, it's on its own. It doesn't need that first habit. 
So, and the first one was coffee in the morning. So set the coffee maker, go meditate. The coffee is done. I get up and have my coffee. I've attached my morning routine, which is super easy for me because I've done it for years, coffee. And meditation was something I, at that time when I had my darkest moment, needed to um, up-level that, that practice and, and bring it in closer to my daily life. And now I can just meditate without coffee and have for years. But I attached it to the habit. So yeah, I struggled with it being consistent and then I, it meant a lot to me and I could see where it was going to take me um, to a place of clarity and stillness and that's, that's where I'm now, where I'm at now. I love that. That's yeah. so cool. So it just, in like, mine um, was super vain and I, lo- I love it though. I read it somewhere. See, sometimes it, it does help, but... Uh, so pay attention to things that resonate. I read about the DNA research on people who meditate. So for me, um, as an aging woman in America, and um, you know, I see a lot of uh, people who perhaps maybe look a little younger than their age, like they're doing just enough Botox. They don't have all those wrinkles that I have on my forehead, and. Um, yeah, it was basically like the wrinkles, right? I was starting to realize that I was getting wrinkles and oh my gosh. And so I read about the DNA research and how meditation has been shown to actually like reverse the aging process. And when I heard that and then I talked to Meditator Bob about it, I was like, what's the brass tax on this? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, I am all in because those other types of treatments, for me, they didn't resonate. And so, yes, I still have wrinkles, but um, that's what got me to the cushion because I had so much pain and anger inside that it was so incredibly uncomfortable to sit on the cushion. But I was like, you sit your ass down because you're going to look younger, you know, in 20 minutes. And I will say, I feel like I, I look better and I certainly feel better than I did 20 years ago. Yeah, you look beautiful. And thank you. And, and, um, and I don't, and that's not why I get to the meditation cushion now. But right. I, I, I don't but, mind having that in my back pocket yeah. because I want to, I want to keep this. My intention is to really keep this temple as a temple, like a beautiful place for me to worship this gorgeous life that I have been um, a participant in, and I want to continue moving that in that direction up. So yeah, that was my way to get consistent. Was like. It was like a anti-wrinkle cream hey. from the inside out because I know that change happens from the inside out. Whatever, I know that. Yeah, whatever it takes. Whatever, whatever it, takes. it takes, it doesn't matter. Um, I think it was uh, Ram Dass actually was talking about like when you begin to awaken, like when you begin to realize like, hold on, there might be other perspectives that I can live from and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I don't care if you got that from a newspaper article. I don't care if you got that from a joint. I don't care if you got that from the worst moment in your life. It doesn't matter how you got there. It's that moment that you wake up and you realize like, whoa, there's this really expansive, fulfilling way to live and I am all over it. Because once you start to dip your toes in the expansive, fulfilling way to live, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like It doesn't matter. You're just like, this feels so good. I'm going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So consistency. What's your final final words? Unless you have anything more to read. Well, uh, there was one thing. There was more, but just we talked about it yesterday with Bob too. The lack of will. You know, everybody what has. About I that? said lack of willpower. Mm. They lack the willpower to stay consistent, mm-hmm. and um, that's an untruth um, because everybody has willpower. Everybody has will. Everybody does. And you can strengthen it. And you and you can strengthen that muscle. So it's about. It's about getting through the surface level of this stuff that's happening, thoughts, and getting to the point of of tapping into that will. And then feeling it overcome you and tap into it again and again and again. And you strengthen that muscle of willpower so that it doesn't lay dormant inside you. It doesn't, um, you don't just take a, a one or two percent credit from it, right? 
you 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 bring it fully up and let it rise to the surface and you repeat it over and over again so that this willpower you see the willpower and then the willpower takes over and now you have you have more will he said or more passion energy energy life force so willpower could be life force in the tip of your pinky then you have then that that is astronomical amount and it can it can pull you through anything so if you're I love the example of, you know, you go out for a workout and you're exhausted, a really long workout. You're just so fatigued and you lay on the ground and you're like, oh, I just want to relax here. And then you get a phone call from a buddy or a friend who is stopping through town and they're like, hey, I'm just passing through. Do you want to wanna come out and meet me? And right away you jump up and you get out there. So what changed? <laughs> Nothing changed. You just tapped into something that, you're, that you already have a connection with, Right? That you've used willpower for before, and you're applying it to go meeting out, go meeting your friend. So we and all have it. We all have that energy. Yeah, yeah, we We're all have not that. In lack. I think I did a Instagram story. One is called Finish Line Energy, and that's what I'm talking about. Yes. The finish line. They're coming energy. down the runner's shoot, and yeah. you're like sprinting. Well, like wait, hell, you shouldn't be doing that. You just walked for 22 miles, like, and that's why you you were saying yesterday, like, you tell your athletes, like. No, start pushing like out from the finish line because as you get close, like once you're in that realm of like, oh my God, I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to finish this Ironman. Oh my God. And all the, like all the months and all this, and everything comes in and, uh, and you're like uh, emotional and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to do this. Like push that, like push even before then because that is going to carry you. Like once you start really being like, and you can hear the voice and announcing the finishers, like, you're beyond body and mind at that point. So start pushing earlier than that because you have that finish line energy all the time. Life force. Yeah, it's limitless. Endless. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's bust let's bust out the questions. Let's bust out the questions. I think I covered that good enough. Okay. I think yeah. you did a great job. I love that you're reading from your journal. That feels like vulnerable. How does that well, feel? I'm, what? I don't feel vulnerable. I feel like <laughs> But I think most people would say, like, reading your journal is vulnerable. I think okay. that's really cool. I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, taking, accepting, a, accepting a compliment. That's a whole other podcast. Okay. This question comes from Wendy, back from Rhode Island Power Yoga. Yeah, Wendy. Wendy's an awesome runner. Hi, Jess. I'm thinking of doing Brace Ultra 2021. Do Any it. thoughts? Yeah, first of all, do it. Any thoughts on tackling that course as a flatlander from Rhode Island? I did AC 50 mile last year, but was thinking of just 50K for Bryce because of the elevation. Would love to hear your thoughts. So elevation, again, let's talk to mindset. Elevation, I believe, can, can be as much of a factor as you believe it to be. Oh, the actual altitude of which she's going to yes. be at. Okay, yeah. So I think Oh, she's that, talking about the I don't know. amount of terrain. So, okay, so both things. So both things. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's what you believe. Um, again, now we're getting into course, right? The, the type of course it is. So yeah, Bryce has a lot of elevation. So um, coming from Rhode Island, which is not flat, there's plenty. When we moved from Boulder back to Rhode Island, I was shocked. And we had lived in Rhode Island previous to Boulder. So it was it was round two. And um, we were training for Ironman Lake Placid, yeah. which made us go find hills. Mm-hmm. Situate. Remember Situate? We would go out to the Situate Reservoir and do hills. Um, there's plenty of things you can do. There's hills in Newport, Rhode Island, like up-downs um, from America's Cup or Lower Thames all the way up to Bellevue, like up and back. So, so there's up and down like those side up streets. Up and down the side streets. Yep. Uh, like William Street. And, and it's getting creative. It's really getting creative. There's plenty of hills to train on. They may not be at the elevation that Bryce is at. Or as sustained, but you ran that last. So if she's talking about the 50K, mm-hmm. and if it's the same course as it was this year, then remember the stretch that you did from yes. Red Canyon back. She'd be basically doing out and back, which, by the way, I actually think the 50K is tougher than the 50 mile because the 50 mile, you get 10 miles of just running pretty much flat. Um, that, that, Going out and back on that 50k, woo, 
It was relentless. Awesome. I mean, not that the it's 50 gorgeous. mile, the 50 mile was the toughest thing I ever did. Um, but I would think that 50K would by far be the toughest 50K I've ever done. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But there's a lot of up and down mm-hmm. there, and it's not like climbing for hours. No. It's just it's relentless up and down. Punchy up and down, up and down, so, which actually the hills in Newport would be awesome for it. Yeah. What about even at home if she has stairs, stairs in her house? Absolutely. Get into a practice of walking up and down stairs, not fast, not hammering, just doing the motion, feeling it. What, what joints are you using? How are you using your hip flexors? How are you pushing off your feet? Um, and go up and down. Also, uh, lunges, lots of lunges. You can go for a run where she lived, Jamestown, or uh, I forgot where she lived. I'm um, not sure. But anywhere in um, in Rhode Island, just you know, if there is a flat stretch, you know, add lunges in every 10 minutes. Do 20 to 50 walking lunges. It's going to strengthen you. Um, it's going to strengthen the muscles that you need to to ascend up the hills. Now, we, obviously, we know she does yoga at Rhode Island Power Yoga, which is amazing because that's going to keep you really strong, and you know the heat's amazing for the body. But what about a strength routine on top? I don't know if she's got a, a separate strength routine for that course, like wall sits. Like I mean, I know you're saying lunges, but squats, lunges, uh, single leg. So you're standing on one leg. And you're driving that right. Let's say you're standing on the left foot. You're driving that right knee up, and then you're balancing there for a second or two. And do that on the stairs too. You can do that on <clears> stairs <throat> too. But to get started, you may just want to do it, you know, um, on on your kitchen floor. Because running is a one-legged yes, sport. Yes. So you want that push off, and then you push off, but you're engaging and holding it, which is also strengthening your hip flexors and your glutes and driving. And your ankle stability <laughs> and your ability to balance. So, yoga, I mean, the yoga that she practices is the yoga we practice. So, there's a lot of uh, balance in that yoga practice. So, honing in that, that temptation to kind of shift and, and move. And instead, you're, you know, focusing on that big toe that we talk about into the mat, engaging the core, engaging the glutes, like all the things that you're going to need on race that you can do right in the yoga class. And then they add the element of steam and heat and humidity. And what about any like fretting about because you know doubt's going to come in and thoughts are going to come in that are unhelpful. What's your what's your um, advice on like nullifying any kind of fret about the elevation gain or the actual elevation of the event itself? Yeah. So. A coach said to me, Lucho, who's my old coach, was said, like, is there anything you can do about that where you live? Is there anything you can do about it? Let's just, you know, have a conversation about it. No, there isn't, because you don't live at elevation and you don't you don't have the ability to do long sustained climbs. So let's take that out of our awareness. Do what can you do? The same thing we do with the athletes that have a certain amount of time to train. Do you have four, 30 hours a week to train? Awesome. If you don't, then why are you trying to Put in 30 hours of training. So, because that's just going to be inconsistency and skipped workouts. Yeah, it's going to create suffering. It's going to even catastrophize things more in the mind. So, what can you do? Yes, there's going to be a lot of elevation. And yes, there's going to be, uh, you're going to be at elevation. So, what are the things you can do? Get as much as you can where you live. And it's going to look different for, for her. And it's going to look different for somebody else who's training in another part of the country. And also access to some big mountains. There is access to mm-hmm. big mountains. Like White Mountains are not that far away. Yeah, Blue Hills. Even Monadnock. Um, um, what was the one that, remember we did, we hiked all the big, the highest peaks in Rhode Island. Grace but why Stout. do I feel like Rhode Island, we had a sneak, like, I feel like part of what we did on the biggest peak in Rhode Island was we had a sneak around on that. Yeah, because I think it, it goes onto someone's private property. And I they, it's Grace Greystone? Yeah. I can't remember the... So also hiking, because you're not going to be running all of that. So Getting familiar with the walk run. Yes. So important. So important. And also, Wendy, uh, I live, I don't know, less than a quarter mile from the Pacific Ocean. So this girl is totally at sea level. And we did a... 
And I was training for this when trails were shut down in San Diego. So there was one trail that we went to up in Orange County, and it did have about 2,000 feet of elevation per 11 miles. And I would just, I would do two loops on Saturday, one loop on Sunday. We just hammered and hammered and hammered this one trail as much as I could. And then strength, I used the stairs down at the beach, um, doing uh, lunges and like BJ was saying, like shooting one knee up, holding it, putting it down, next step, other knee up. And, um, and then there was a time where I was just running on the road in preparation for Bryce, not even knowing if Bryce was going to happen, but in, like planning on it, it happening, happen. planning on it happening. So I did training for that. I mean, I live at sea level, so I do have access to some um, mountains, but so do you. Like there's mountain in Acadia, or is it Arcadia? Arcadia. Arcadia. Yeah, that's another great place to go. Don't be afraid to go out and do a long hiking day. Yeah, hiking's hiking's phenomenal. And and I want to share just that one experience we had in Leadville where. Uh, we went up there to pace uh, one of our buddies for the hundred miler in Leadville at fourteen thousand feet. I know, whatever you had like no business doing that, but we were just like psyched. So we were like, "Yeah, let's right. do it." And so we were living in Boulder, which is at five thousand feet, and we went up there, and I was supposed to pace him, and you were supposed to pace him, and instead he did not uh, choose to go on at the halfway point where you can pick up a runner. Uh, support, but there were people that needed runners, and I did help this one guy up over Hope Pass for 10, 10 miles into the dark who came from Ohio and uh, literally ran uh, flat um, in all his training. He was a computer programmer, I want to say, so he was sitting behind a desk and he would run the streets. It might have been Chicago. It was a, it was a city that he lived in, and he, it was flat, and we talked about how he trained, and he just kept putting in miles. And doing stairs, and, and that's he all he could do. And he finished one of the toughest hundred mile races in the world. Leadville's at what eleven, twelve thousand feet. I yeah, think. Yeah, it's the so, highest town. So um, it's such a good example. Yeah, that's right? a great example. Yeah. yeah so um, and and reach out, you know, to Wendy. Yeah, let us like, know, Wendy, for sure. We can definitely support you along the way. All right, second question. We're going into the deep one. This one comes from Heather. I've been on an interesting journey that I feel is nothing short of a spiritual awakening. That's awesome. That's a, the interesting journey tells me that there's probably been some turbulence, right? Like turbulence is the spiritual awakening. My kids and I were watching a movie and one of the characters' parents had passed away. So at bedtime, my daughter, who's seven, was crying, saying that she does not want her family to die. I explained that everyone dies, but most people don't die until they're older. I wasn't honest I, I wasn't, to be honest, um, I wanted to be honest. I think that's what she was saying. I wanted to be honest, but also reassure her that she will not be navigating life alone. But I realized that I myself am not okay with death, hence the spiritual awakening, or have a good understanding of it. You popped into my head, <laughs> and I'm curious what your thoughts are and how you've come to understand death being as spiritual as you are. Well, So how are you? Well, the first thing I want to say is, um, I'm as spiritual as as you, Heather, as BJ is, as your daughter is. We are spiritual beings. So I think the first thing for me is that I don't see myself as a human being. I have embodied myself as a spiritual being in a human body, having a human experience, which has helped me in so many ways. Um, and that being that the spirit never dies. So in the Bhagavad Gita, which might be, there's a couple of books I would recommend. The Bhagavad Gita, uh, of course, for everyone, it's like the only book you really ever need. They talk about how the wise, right? So those who are um, wise in wisdom, you know, through spirituality, um, that when we leave the body, it's no different than just dropping an old coat onto the ground. So there's, there's no effect whatsoever. It's just, I'm in this body, then I'm going to go into another body. You were just talking about this with something with Ram Dass you were listening to. And we go on and on and on forever. 
Now, the cool thing is that people who are really close in our life, people who are like family, like BJ, my husband, um, this is not the first. This is not the first incarnation that BJ and I have had a strong relationship. Now, whatever that relationship organization was, I don't know. He could have been a dog, and I could have been a cat. Like it, it doesn't matter. But he and I have a soul connection, and and from what I have been taught, like that soul connection is something that we will carry into eternity. That. Um, that there are those people who are close to you, like your daughter, such a special bond, such a powerful relationship that you can confidently tell her that you and her will always be in close proximity. Like you will always, she will always live in your heart and you will always live in in her heart. Um, So really through the teachings that I received through my teacher, um, specifically the Bhagavad Gita, meditation, so getting into communion with the energy of my spirit and not just the density and the obvious casing in which I live, which is my body and the role that I play here as Jess, but in that stillness, and I know you meditate, Heather, um, in that stillness is where really where we tap into wisdom. And wisdom is it's so different than what we typically think of when we think about learning things. So like BJ was saying, we open up the book, like we always have all these books and we read and we put the information in. And so what meditation does is it, it really flip-flops that learning process where I've got all the information inside and so do you and so does BJ and so does your daughter. And so I go inside every day and I just sit in this vastness of um, spiritual energy, which is everything is spiritual energy. Like my Honda Fit is spiritual energy. Uh, My body is spiritual energy. Everything is made at its essence from this energy that creates worlds that when I sit in meditation, I get into communion with that library of wisdom. And what happens is, is when I need something, I've got the answer because I have been created this, I have created this relationship with the subtlety that lies within me. And within that subtlety is the answer to every question and mystery of the universe. So it's, been my experience so intellectually understanding how the spirit world works how the human works like the earth and and also knowing that this is not the only planet we can live on you guys like this is a planet of suffering there's hell on this earth and there is heaven on this earth and i am blessed to live in heaven on this earth but there are other places that we can live that are even better and better and better. So the better it gets, the better it gets. And honestly, the suffering of this world is very intentional because it's there for us to wake up and raise our consciousness to rise above. And once we do that um, and our work here is done, we're out of here and we're on to something else. Now, if we didn't complete the work or there's still some things that are left unattended, we'll come back here. And keep coming back. And we'll keep coming back, yeah. And so, um, and the thing that can happen is that you can get to a point where you have this really lovely, comfortable life, you know, financial abundance, um, beauty on the outside and the inside, a dedicated practice. And you can keep coming back here because you get stuck in that comfort, which was like a realization I had probably a couple months ago that like brought me to my knees. I had a little breakdown. Remember I had a little breakdown beach. I was like overwhelmed by gravity and he's shaking his head. Yes. Um, so that's, That's kind of that. Now, I'm going to share an experience I've never shared before. So I did, in 2010, BJ had already moved back east and I was living in Boulder, Colorado. And I had an opportunity to take part in plant medicine and do ayahuasca. Uh, And I have shared this story with a couple of people, but and I'm not ashamed of it. It was one of the most life-changing experiences of my life. 
Um, and I'm always curious. So yes, yes, of course I'm going to go do that. Of 100%, no question was I going to do that. I was definitely at a point in my life where I was just seeking all these different modalities and medicines and things like that to, to help this awakening process. And so part of that experience of taking the ayahuasca, which was so amazing, was that I experienced death. And it, and so I'll set the scene. <clears throat> so I'm sitting there, I'm kind of in this meditative pose and I'm, I've already taken the medicine and all of a sudden I hear, brum, 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 like those old snare drums, like, and I was marching into the civil war, like, brum, brum. And I remember even as I say that, I get a chill because my whole life, I remember being in second grade and we were watching The Gray and the, remember that movie? Yeah, the, the Gray. Blue and the Gray. Yeah, why are we watching Civil War movies in like <laughs> second grade? And I remember specifically being in the classroom and hearing the snare drums and having the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And so this all now makes more sense. My whole life, that sound and that dread of marching into battle, knowing that death was right there waiting for me, has something I have held and felt my whole life. So here I am now, 2010, plant medicine is in my body and I'm hearing those drums and I'm feeling the dread and it's more real than ever. However, this time I'm totally peaceful. And it then moves into me being on the ground. I've been wounded, shot, and I have this precise and undoubtable knowing that I am dying. I am leaving the body. And I'm a man, and I'm leaving the body as the soldier. And I take an inhale, and I have this feeling that everything is okay. It's the most incredible peace I have ever felt. And then I exhale and I die. And it was the most peaceful experience that I believe has taken my fear of death away. That said, I still live in this body that's hardwired for survival. So sometimes I'll get, woof, like I had a Jeep go by me the other day when I was cruising down Del Dio's Highway on my bike. Like I was like, woo, I kind of felt that side mirror on my shoulder. But I'm at peace. And I have, and I said this to you the other day, Beach, like I love that I can go out and be on these roads and feel nothing but peace. And honestly, I've only experienced kindness from drivers. Like, yeah, sometimes they get a little close. I'm sure I've done that too. But if there's plenty of room if, if I'm still here, right? So it's not too close. Because if it was too close, I wouldn't be here anymore. So I had this really unique, cool experience that I didn't expect in 2010 where I experienced death. And I experienced on a cellular level that moment that you know you're leaving and I was in total peace and relaxation. What I have come to learn also about death is that it only takes three seconds to transition from this world to whatever the next destination is or holding pattern until we choose where our souls you know, are most aligned uh, with whatever that may be, that it only takes three seconds and also that in that moment when we realize that we are about to take that final exhale, that we do put our minds on, well, most, to be totally specific, on the eternal vibration of the universe, which is Om. And so when we were helping our dog, our Bernese mountain dog transition, and she was, her physical body was so broken. Her mental body was 100%. It was so tough. Um, I sat over her and chanted the vibration of Om into the crown of her head. 
And then BJ started chanting and the vet started chanting and it was the most gorgeous transition that I have experienced, um, a living being transitioning out of their body and then leaving the body behind, but being able to hold that sacred space and, and understand that death is is a great teacher for us to remember that this precious sacred moment is a precious sacred moment and we've got to stop glossing over them and complaining about them. But to resonate with your daughter a little bit, when I was younger, I used to pray at night like out of desperation, like, please don't let me die. Please don't let there be a war, please. Like I was so petrified of it. So that was kind of where I was coming from. And um, and I think it's also an interesting experience to take a deep breath in and hold that breath in. So you hold that space where your body is full of breath, but the breath has ceased. And then you exhale and you hold the breath out. And now the breath and now the body has no breath in it. And you see how different those experiences are because there's that part of us that does remember that last exhale. And so what I have found is that when I hold that exhale out, panic comes in a little bit quicker. And so I practice in those moments relaxing into that panic to remind myself that it's okay, that I am always in the hands of the universe and that I am loved unconditionally. And, um, and that... Also, I think, you know, living in truthfulness and living in alignment with what's on your heart and not avoiding things because they're scary or uncomfortable is so important to the protection and the, the um, really the comfort in which you get to navigate this crazy show of life. I hope that's helpful. What do you have to say, Beej? I Wow, I don't really have much. <laughs> to share that was pretty, pretty exhaustive of the topic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I for me, it's about attachment. Well, that's and this is why det- I'm love that you said that. This is why detachment, you guys. Like we got to detach from the watch. We got to detach from like our joy being hinged on our finishing time, because eventually we got to detach from the body. Right. So we're tethered you, to the body. If you realize we're just renting space, and I know you can't explain to your daughter, like, hey, we're renting <laughs> space um, right now. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a communication point that you feel comfortable with. But you know, this is this is just this is just the physical um, suit that we're in. Clark is in his physical suit right now. I can tell you Clark has tendencies of Lhasa, the Bernese mountain dog you were talking about, and our older golden retriever. So the spirit is it lives on. Um, the physical body is is just a physical body. It's a it's a suit, and we're gonna we're gonna tr- we're gonna transfer it to another suit, and we're gonna keep doing that until we begin to work on our karma ourselves and reach that higher state of samadhi, where where we are not the bo- we're not this body. We're not anybody. We're just a spiritual uh, the top-tiered spiritual being where there's nothing but joy and love and happiness and it's everywhere. And don't you want to, like, that's that's what I love about the competitiveness that lives in this physical body of mine is like, yeah, I want to be top-tier. Like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Hell yeah. Like, are you telling me my consciousness can be higher? Like, let's go, man, let's go. I think we, we just, we're so stuck in the visualness. You know, and we talked about this in yoga. Like, they're so stuck in the, the pose, like seeing themselves in the mirror and listening to music and, and the physicalness of it. And, and there's so much, there's so much more. The, the physical, I don't even know the percentage. It's such a low percentage of what exists. Um, the spiritual energy that's out there, the life force is just, like we were talking about before, is limitless. It's limitless. So we're confining it to this, you know, 100 to 300 pound body, whatever it is of yeah. stuff. And it, it, we get too wrapped up in it. I had mentioned two books. Um, and the second book is the Upanishads. And I remember after I read the Upanishads, and I recommend, I, just because these are the translations that were recommended to me, is Eknath Aswaran's um, 
translation of the Bhagavad Gita and Aknathaswaran's uh, The Upanishads. And the Upanishads are essentially recounts of direct direct communication or being in concert with um, divine consciousness. And I remember, and I haven't read this book in a while, but I remember my teacher had me read it, I don't know, maybe seven years ago. And I remember I remember coming in and he was like, so what'd you think? I'm like, I'm kind of psyched to die right now. Like, I'm kind of psyched. And he's like, okay, back up the truck. You got work to do. And I'm like, it's kind of cool. Like, I kind of like this. So that was another piece that does talk about dying and the process. And, and honestly, the Gita is also does that. Um, but I think it was the Upanishads is basically like how to die, like how, how to do it, how to do it where it's not this devastating thing, but it's this graduation to, um, to what's next from all the work that you've done in this life. It's, it's such a gift. And I, you're giving your daughter an incredible gift by having this dialogue, even if it feels weird and awkward, like, you know, feel your feet in your shoes, take a breath and trust, Heather, that the right words are going to come. You're doing this perfectly. You're doing this so wonderfully. And we live in a society that covers it up and we don't see it and it's very not talked about it. And we walk around and we pretend like we're not going to die. But there's hundreds of thousands of people dying right now. And there's hundreds of thousands of people being born again into this world. And so there's the contrast. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't talk about it enough. We don't think about it enough. And that was one thing I learned from my students in India was like, you Americans don't think about death enough. Like we think about it every day. So that helps us really live from the present moment. And, and really enjoy our lives. And we're talking about these Tibetan refugees that had their freaking country taken from them and they had to escape at night as children and walk the Himalayas. And it's like, they're telling me, you know, who grew up on Cape Cod, and sure, I've had my struggles. I've had wicked struggle in my life. But like, I never had to cross the Himalayas at seven years old in slippers, you know? I didn't have to do that. And here they are teaching me about how precious a moment is and giving me this this guidance. So I do think I've had some really incredible experiences around uh, learning about death in this life. And, um, you know, one is reading those books, Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, The other was my experience with ayahuasca. And then the other was those girls in in Dharamsala, India, who who just set me straight on so many things in my life. And and you've been fortunate to have those experiences and really, really embrace them, like fully allow them into your life and see where they see how far it goes. Like still pursuing that avenue, that path. Um, but we have examples every day in our lives. Like, you know, I just had two friends' fathers pass away. Like there's always signs around that allow you to come back to the precious moments if you see them. So the people who, what do they say, when they're on their deathbeds, they're not talking about... um, Everything they did do. Yeah, they're talking about, I wish I would have done this. And so what what an amazing opportunity to just own each moment of every day. And, and when you create that space you talked about with your athlete, with the, with the um, stimulus and response, when you create that space, you realize this is not who we are. This is, I have a choice here. Right now I can choose to not go running or I can choose to lace up my shoes, put my body on the other side of the front door and just start because I know tomorrow may is not guaranteed. Yeah, exactly. And I think also one other thing, Heather, that's coming in as BJ's using his language so eloquently is, is changing the language around dying. Like so I I use like, you know, transition or, you know, left the body, things like that, which helps to um really change your relationship. Because if we keep calling it dying, it feels super scary and painful and I'd be crying too. 
Um, so I hope that helps. Thank you so much for bringing such a beautiful topic to our podcast. Uh, it is a topic I love to I love to talk about, and I've given BJ much directive around the fact that you know when I do leave this body, like celebrate and be joyful and know that I'm having a blast. <laughs> and that in the moment I realized that I was leaving, I was okay and I was at peace. So talk more about it. It's a beautiful subject. You guys let us know if you have any other questions. My man's got a double sesh at the pool, so he's got to bounce. What are you going to do in the pool today? Quick. And then we'll, uh, we'll bounce out of this pod. I'm going to do some 300 progressions. Nice. Yep. Cool. That's quick. Okay. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to get to the pool now. You guys, we love you. Thank you so much for your support. Get over to Patreon. Join us for yoga. We've got three spots left in the Awake Athlete tier. And then that mama is shutting down. I'm keeping it at 11 athletes. We have our third call, um, November 11th. This will be publishing after that, but join us for December. Uh, I'm posting in there weekly. Uh, you get two guided meditations every month, one from our group call, and then one, I just put in a pre-workout one, which is five minutes. And I don't know, I thought it was pretty awesome. So uh, get over there, check it out and send us questions all the time. And we will answer them on this show. Namaste.